Anime on the Sea to Sky. I'm curious to see when I'm going to be able to put this out. If I get it out before New Year's, then uh, happy holidays. Hope you all had a good time with family and friends and made a lot of new memories and new gifts to take home. And then if I wasn't able to meet the deadline, then uh, happy New Year, I guess. And as much as I would like to talk about all the great things that we've been able to go through and experience inside of 2023, I think I'm going to save that for... The next episode, which could either be the first or second episode of the new year, so we're just going to have to wait and see how that turns out. But besides that, since there wasn't really a lot of news leading up towards the end of this year, most of that was lining up to shows that we didn't necessarily know the dates of, and some that were finally getting announced for the first time. So at the very least, I can talk about here for a couple of anime that I'm actually excited for and looking forward to leading into the next year in 2024. So at least for... Some of the ones that aren't necessarily season twos or remakes or anything related towards the rest of it. Metallic Rouge is going to be an original Bones production, which at this point I haven't necessarily felt like I've been let down at any case recently in terms of Studio Bones as a whole. And the fact that we're going to be getting a crime mecha show that has potential lesbian undertones or even bi who knows but those look like two very good friends that are leading up on the cover we don't necessarily know ah, like i'd like to say that we're gonna get uzumaki or blue box at some point or done the done in the next year they've been announced there's a very good chance that we might be able to see the three of those towards the end of the year but it hasn't been guaranteed since they were only just recently announced based on how that was going to be the case so they're definitely all the way into production, but whether or not we would get them in either the summer or the fall seasons, or hell, we might not be able to have the opportunity to see them until 2025. We're just going to have to wait and see how that turns out. But I do know that we are going to be getting the adaptations for Kaiju number 8, and next season, guaranteed, we are going to be getting Delicious in Dungeon, Dungeon Meshi, all of those things I'm extremely excited about, considering that not only is it a manga that I've been keeping up with, but it's also being done by Studio Trigger, and they have been phenomenal at leading in towards almost any adaptation, especially with one of the ones that we ended up getting this year, but I'll get to that at a later date. As for the sequels that we are going to be getting next year, essentially we are going to be getting a third season of Kimi no Todoke. We have guaranteed stuff for 100 girlfriends who really love you. We have After School Hanako for people not necessarily including myself, because I've definitely jumped off of that psychedelic monogatari look-alike Bunny Girl Senpai. That's also going to be getting a university arc. I don't necessarily know if it's a movie or a sequel season, but at the very least it's going to be having more content for people that have been a fan of Bunny Girl for quite a bit. Uh, Dangers in My Heart are going to be getting a second season. Blue Lock is going to be coming back into the fray. Hell's Paradise. Marshall, for better or worse, Mushoku Tensei. Oshino Ko is going to be lining up for towards the rest of that. Roroni Kenshin's readaptation is going to be moving forward in the new year, another season of Urusei Yatsura, and one that I'm particularly excited for, Sabakui Bisco, or just the anime about shrooms. <laughs> it's a fantasy, Mad Max, dystopian future where everything is being held down to run rust and shrooms, for of any of the things that you could have been talking about, but I guess we'll get to that uh, at some point later on. I definitely know that it's going to be no short time where we're going to be getting Jujutsu Kaisen's third season. I don't know if that's going to be able to come up by the end of the year or if that's going to be the first season of 2025. Honestly, just give these fucking animators some rest. 
Jesus Christ. It's like, we've, we've already gone through the rest of that. We already saw the ups and downs that brought throughout the entirety of the Shibuya incident. But it's just, holy shit, they, they, it's, there is going to be a breaking point for that, that studio. And honestly, 2024 might be it, depending on how they're going to be leaning in towards the rest of this. Because yes, we did end up getting the Chainsaw Man movie being announced. But if that's the same deal where MAPPA is going to be taking over the majority of the production and be nearly the 100% placeholder for producing the show, then odds are they're just going to do the exact same thing and put it right in between a handful of other productions that are going to be suffering because of it. So I'm extremely concerned about how the rest of that's going to go. We do have another season of Two Year Eternity lining up. Dr. Stone, same deal. We know that it's going to be getting another season, but we don't know if it's going to be getting in towards the end of this year or the next. Don Machi is, Jesus Christ, it's on its fifth season, man. Uh, how to pick up girls in a dungeon. I am surprised and not surprised based on the notoriety and the success that that show has had inside of Japan. So that's just going to essentially keep going for as long as the light novel writer is going to continue producing books. So that's just easy money. Demon Slayer is... I mean, I, I am so checked out of Demon Slayer after this most recent season. I am going to be watching it just to kind of see what the general consensus and how everybody goes to react. Like, what you definitely cannot say about Demon Slayer is that it looks bad. It is one of the most polished productions that at least the Shonen section has been getting over the past couple of years. And so I will continue to watch it for there. But if you're going to be asking me if I'm going to be continuing to watch it because of either the story or the characters, then you are going to be extremely mistaken. But for another shonen that's leading up towards the rest of it is definitely going to be My Hero Academia. I have taken a break for quite a bit of time on the manga. I'm pretty sure it's been 20 weeks. So what would that be? About five months since I've reread a chapter of My Hero, considering... It's very much at a point in the story where it is like 90% done. We are running towards the conclusion, but it is a battle royale. Fights are happening left and right. Conclusions and character arcs are being either snipped at the bud or putting down an open and shut case on a lot of their characters. And so it's just, I will get back into it and I know where they're going to conclude this season, but odds are what I'm kind of curious about is that if they decide to make it a two core seventh season, then how much will they be able to adapt and will it be enough to the point where they would be able to conclude the story? Because I would say, anime wise, uh, My Hero is about 24 to 36 episodes of story left, and a lot of that is fighting, so honestly, most of that could just be truncated, but. Only time will tell to kind of see how much more content that they're going to be able to have at their disposal, because we are really inching close towards the finale. But not even close to what One Piece has. That's going to be going on for another couple of years. But I, but at the very least, I do think One Piece is going to end at some point in the 2020s. And then for the future, the fact that they have whoever's animating the current series right now, and then you have the readaptation being announced for Studio Wit that's going to continue on into the future on top of the live-action anime adaptation that One Piece was able to get that was extremely fun and enjoyable and seeing how that's going to be moving on in the future and how much they're going to have to condense that towards the rest of it so most of the characters don't or the actors don't age out of their characters at that point only time will tell 
Um, I mean, other things that aren't necessarily confirmed but are expected to be coming out within the next two years is that there's going to be a new Macross project. Ascendance of a Bookworm is going to be now adapted by Studio Wit, so that'll might come out by the end of the next year, or we'll see again, same deal. Although the fact that Wit Studio is going to be adapting another hardy... I mean, I guess this is definitely an isekai rather than a fantasy in terms of ranking of kings. However... I really know a buddy of mine is going to be ecstatic about the gloss-up that this show is going to be getting now that Wit is a part of the production. Apparently there is more Made in Abyss content in production, but I could only imagine the most that they could do is probably just a film, because last I checked, there is barely any content out past what the most recent season was able to adapt. So either they move forward with the author and try to get a full season of content out with his approval and with his notes, or just go with the movie route because at the very least that'll have more than enough content for you to go through. But I'm not caught up on it, so I can't necessarily say if there would be a satisfying conclusion or at least the length of an arc that they could go to adapt in that time. But that's only going to be able to go through. I mean, I am going to be watching the new season of Great Pretender, despite my grievances with the final arc of that series the majority of it was extremely fun and it was a good semblance of joy and thievery and that kind of same feel that you get like watching an oceans 11 sort of deal so that's definitely going to be leading on through um and then we're going to be getting a little bit more of card captor sakura's clear card which i still haven't watched and caught up to even though i did watch the original as well as the films but uh, it's definitely one that's not really going to be too much of a priority for me to get back to, considering how much I still have to go through. But only time will tell, and we'll just kind of see how the rest of that goes. Uh, we are going to be getting a given movie, Chainsaw Man as well. Apparently Eminence's Shadow is also going to be getting one, but I have no idea if that's going to be the rest of it. Either a compilation or, like, a sequel, who knows. Although the fact that we are going to be getting a Ranking of Kings movie potentially next year is getting me extremely excited on how they're going to be able to push the story forward since we only got a fraction of it with kind of like season 1.5 that we ended up getting. I can't remember if it was this year or last year, but only time will tell. <sighs> so yeah, thankfully there's quite a lot to look forward to leading into the new year, but for the main topic of the episode, this is something that I was finally able to not necessarily catch back up on, but watch, read, and test the adaptations of what this entire series was able to reimagine itself as over the past month, and that is Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, or Scott Pilgrim Fucks Off, or the rebuild of Scott Pilgrim. I like Essentially, any of those could work, but it's just such an interesting franchise to me, considering that... My relationship with this series and this just IP as a whole is a very common one where up until a month ago, I had only watched the movie that came out back in 2010 with Michael Sarah and the entire star-studded cast that we will eventually get to. But at the time, I was just a teen who liked nerdy things, but not the specific nerdy things that Brian Lee O'Malley was a fan of and what got him invested to create this story in the first place. Considering that Scott Pilgrim is a graphic novel that was drawn back in 
the mid 2000s, or I guess from 2004 to 2010, uh, by Brian Lee O'Malley, who is this uh, Korean French Canadian who was just a huge fan of manga and anime and getting all those pieces and VHS and DVDs and everything like leading in towards the rest of it. And he just wanted to create a shonen style comic book series that mostly focused on the down-to-earth problems of somebody who's just lost in their 20s. And so we got a lot of inspiration from that, a lot of inspiration from Fooly Cooly, a lot of inspiration from like the relationship dynamics and the harem aspect of Rama One Half. Just it would take a while for me to try to fit in every single inspiration that kind of brought him up to this point. But at the very least, the I don't know when Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the live-action film, started coming into production, but if it was released back in August of 2010, then odds are somewhere around 2008 they ended up, you know, contacting Brian Lee O'Malley and saying that they wanted to adapt this, even though the full story hadn't been completed yet. However, there was definitely more than enough that they could use and work with in order to create this new style with Edgar Wright at the helm. So I guess for me, I'll start with the film, considering that, like a lot of other people, that was essentially my first exposure to this entire franchise. And it was, at the time for me, since I probably was just sitting in the middle of summer off of work, and I went to go see it with a buddy of mine, Jacob, and we were both like having a really good time. He was like pointing out all these references to me that I couldn't necessarily get, but at the very least, for that point, it was really fun, really quick-witted, had an amazing time with it, and I never touched it again for years and years and years. I caught the back half of it <laughs> I remember catching the back half of it on TV because I was going through just soreness and pains after recently uh, breaking my collarbone, and it was just there, and I caught the back half of it, and it was just really fun, and it was just a lot more entertaining than I remembered it being, since this was like 2016, and it was definitely something that, now that I think about it, has been another six to seven years until I decided to go back and revisit it since this was the last thing on the agenda that I had to go through because I watched the anime and then I read the graphic novel and then I rewatched the movie now knowing all of <laughs> essentially who I was even in 2016 who I was back in 2010 and who I am now is just a much more evolved and exaggerated version of what I was now, because now every single reference on that screen is just jumping out at me. Every single piece of information, every reference, the fact that Brian Lee O'Malley himself was one of the bar patrons in the movie, now going through a lot of Edgar Wright's itinerary and like being such a phenomenal director, and especially with his editing style, making almost all the comedy and the action scenes pop. It was just such a phenomenal look back to get back into this film and it just being such a blast and a film that for me wasn't as motivational and it didn't hit me the same way as it did back when I was a teenager, now hits more uncomfortably close to home in some ways, but gets elevated due to the now knowledge that I have 13 years after that original movie came out with everything that has gone through with me being an anime fan, following a lot of the same stuff that Brian ended up doing way back in his teen years 
getting to the things that inspired him and the things that inspired the writing and creative crew on the live-action Scott Pilgrim movie, to them getting all of the classic actors and actresses that performed in that movie 13 years ago to voice the English dub for the anime that ended up coming out prior. Because it was just crazy to me, thinking back 13 years ago, how basically all of these people, how far they've all come, like, over the span of these years. And this cast, in hindsight, is insanely stacked. I mean, of course, Michael Sarah. He's been in, like, more things than you can count. I absolutely loved him in the Barbie movie, which was the most recent thing I'd seen of him. I mean, Anna Kendrick, who was Scott's sister, she's been known for Up in the Air. She was in all the Pitch Perfect movies. Mary Elizabeth Winston as Ramona essentially, like, goes through with Death Proof. She's been in the Die Hard movies. She did a phenomenal job in 10 Cloverfield Lane. The reason why she looked so familiar to me in Ahsoka was that considering that she plays Hera, and it was like, why is it that, look, I haven't seen Star Wars Rebels, but why is it that her face looks so familiar to me? And I can just see Ramona through all of the green makeup and tendrils. And it was just, oh, oh shit. That was exactly where I was going through. And then also like leading in for a phenomenal piece for a couple of episodes in Love, Death, and Robots, as well as Birds of Prey. Aubrey Plaza, who essentially went through Ingrid Goes West, as well as her huge defining tv role in parks and rec like chris evans do i need to iterate on chris evans and how big of a movie star how how he has essentially become his own lucas lee in his own right with the amount of success that he's been able to garner over the past 13 years like jesus christ brie larson in the same deal where she was able to go through short-term 12 the room well okay not the room not 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 with so's room let's not get ahead of ourselves here just room which was a phenomenally well-told drama series especially about that kind of a kidnapping and locking and then leading in towards her success inside of the marvel cinematic universe on top of that so it's just insane how all of these actors essentially like came through and we're not only able to find success inside of that way, but to all come back to this specific tiny project that they worked on 13 years ago. Kieran Culkin, like Wallace Wells, is he's easily like one of my favorite characters of the show. And the fact that Kieran's been able to like take all of that after 13 years throughout his entire career and then come back for this small tiny piece even after all the success that he's been able to find inside of succession like holy shit and the biggest surprise to me was that of all it, like the narrator inside of at least the live action television series the fact that that all along was bill Hader, i had no idea this to say this cast was stacked is an understatement and it was just such a joyous kind of moment to see all of them come back just for this specific project. It was just, it gave me such joy. And so after going through the entire film again, it was just something where I'm kind of glad that it didn't necessarily stick with me, although it just hit at a different time and it wasn't something that I would imagine going back and reading and like figuring out the rest of this, especially with how all the characters figured out themselves towards the many iterations of this franchise. Kind of seeing everything 
being brought to life, like even not necessarily in color, because this entire classic graphic novel that Brian Lee O'Malley was able to make was all in black and white initially, and it wasn't until 2012 to 2016 he was able to go back and recolor it and redraw it. It's just that I was right outside of just, it, it was just such an awkward time at that point where I couldn't get further into Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And it wasn't at the time that the movie stuck with me so much that I would actively go and it's like, oh my god, I need to figure out everything about this entire movie and everything that was related to it. Because it was just another one like inside of one of my teenage summers because it wasn't until I ended up going out to school in Ontario for five years that I actually had the opportunity to like realize oh shit so all right well I'll have the opportunity to go through because I wasn't in Toronto but there were a lot of times and a lot of opportunities for me to go down there going through the entirety of the fact that this <laughs> this graphic novel was based in Toronto, Canada, or at least on the outskirts. And now, after living there for a good number of years, seeing kind of all the inspiration, kind of like, I've been down that street. I know that nightclub. Oh, hey, every single one of those houses is just like, oh, yeah, no, I literally just lived in those towards the rest of it. Not necessarily on the outskirts, but the architecture inside of Kingston was incredibly similar towards the rest of it. So, me going back to this now kind of just gives me that sense of a rediscovering of an old friend. And it's just such a pleasant feeling to essentially go back to now knowing everything that there is to know about this franchise. Because going back to the start, Brian and his crew making this comic took a lot of inspiration from the libraries and the architecture and a lot of the big landmarks inside of Toronto whenever he was making this. But... It was the entire Scott Pilgrim, at least name, was based on a song done by plum tree singer Carla Gillis, considering that it was a positive but bittersweet song that really inspired him to create this character around it with all of the anime and manga trappings that he had been such a fan of for a good number of years. And reading that after all this time definitely makes me understand how there was such a cult following behind this, considering that North America as a total, I don't believe it got as big as people would have hoped, but seeing this evolve over the course of time, especially like in Canada, being like this dead set Canadian property trying to, I, I mean, not necessarily trying to produce the best aspects of Canadian life, because it's there's not a lot that we can give, especially when it comes out inside of this movie and inside of the graphic novel, where it's just, it's wet it's cold for most of the year, especially in Ontario, and the landmarks and the things to do, you're definitely kind of like grasping at straws to figure out the rest of this, but the way that Brian was able to go through and inject a lot of his hometown nostalgia and feeling into his world definitely gives it something that is familiar and homey, even though I wouldn't have known it at the time since I'd only visited Toronto like once or twice before 2010. But then now, that's an entirely different story. But that's beside the point. It is definitely going to be not necessarily a landmark, but honestly a to-do list, which would be a good, fun thing to do for a day to go through and walk around Toronto, reliving and kind of checking back on the actual live music halls and venues and libraries and structures and basically everything that he was able to inject into his work. But the graphic novel as a whole 
it moves very quickly for one that is six volumes long. You're looking at anywhere between two to 260 pages. And it's just something that I didn't get the first time when I was watching the movie is that I was still a teenager that wanted to see the protagonist win. And I hadn't seen a lot of movies where the protagonist was not necessarily a paragon of either leadership or discipline or anything. Because going back and watching this now, seeing that Scott is mostly a scumbag in every iteration that he has been shown, but you still at least want to see the people around him be happy and kind of see the rest of it. Unfortunately, the majority of their happiness is surrounded on him getting the girl in the end, but as he's able to go through and learn to accept himself and figure out, like, these are the mistakes that I made, and learning from them rather than just forgetting about them just so he can make the same mistakes again was definitely a phenomenal way to kind of go and wrap up his character to try to see how he would be able to bring happiness not only to himself, but to everyone around him. And so reading the graphic novel, especially with the colors that it does have now with the redraws, it really makes it pop. And this kind of story is so uniquely Canadian and timeless to the point where I would recommend anybody read it, watch it, just whatever they can to get into this franchise. It is definitely something that I could universally recommend, especially with how the novel kind of goes through. I would say this, that Scott is his most deplorable inside of the novel, considering that you don't want, especially in the movie, to have your <laughs> main character be a scum, too much of a scumbag so you can at least empathize with him. However, he is dating a high schooler in... Just just in every single iteration, which is just crazy. And it's like, oh, Jesus. But at the very least, with the other characters that you still haven't been able to get, like, a piece of, you can still, like, go back and just see the entire story unfold inside of uh, the graphic novel. And it is something that I could just easily recommend to anybody getting into this franchise as a whole. Like, whether it's either video game references or anime references or anything, there's going to be something that anybody has the opportunity to enjoy, especially when it comes to this one. But just to get on, because this is technically an anime podcast, the major one that I did want to get to and talk about was Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which came out back in November on Netflix. To me, it was kind of sad and unfortunate because the majority of this of the conversation that was happening around Scott Pilgrim was not about the quality of the show, not about how fun of a blast and, like, interactive, and not how seamless the animation is or how funny, like, the jokes land and how much of a, like, phenomenal retelling of a story that this is. It was literally just being dominated, all of the conversation, by, hey, is Scott Pilgrim takes off an anime? And is Scott Pilgrim a good reimagining or adaptation because based on the promotional material most of it did seem like Scott Pilgrim Takes Off was going to be a adaptation of the graphic novel considering that there was only so much time that the movie was able to get it could only be doing a limited sort of retelling of how the rest of it goes but Scott fights all the evil exes Scott gets Ramo with Ramona like everything is hunky-dory by the end of that with unless you ended up re-watching uh, the special features on the Scott Pilgrim DVD because they also, for test audiences, made an ending where he ends up getting with knives and that is so fucking out of left field and not even at all what the point of this entire story was, but that's that's just beside the point. The fact that 
I'm just gonna like flat out say it so we don't have to sit on it too much. Scott Pilgrim is an anime. At ver- at the very least, Scott Pilgrim takes off, where it's just the source material was inspired by anime and manga. This was done by a Japanese studio. This was done by a Japanese team, and, and where it's kind of like, oh yeah, but isn't the director Spanish? It's like this this guy has been living in Japan and working with Sainsaru, and he's been in the anime the anime industry for ten years. But no, this is not an anime. It was you know it was voiced by the English cast first, which I will definitely accept because they there was only so much that you can do, especially with actors nowadays with their schedules. So trying to get all of them in the booth within a specific time frame to try and get this show out by the end of the year, that was definitely an imperative and important piece that they had to if they wanted to get this entire cast back together. So that's totally understandable for getting all of the English voice work out of the way first as a priority before the rest of the animation was done. This is still done by a Japanese studio. This is still done by a Japanese team. This is still... I don't give a shit if this is a North American or, like, at the very least, Canadian-based property. If it's done, the bottom line, if it is done by a Japanese animation studio, it is anime. Plain and simple, case closed. And so the fact that that dragged on for as long as it did because a handful of moderators inside some of the larger anime database sites would just wanted to plant their feet and die on this one stupid hill, the conversation continued to grow out of context and out of mind and was just getting dumber and dumber to the point where we weren't even necessarily arguing, hey, is Scott Pilgrim a good show? Who cares? It's not anime. It's just like, are you... Awesome. I'm so glad that this is the kind of conversation that we're having in 2023. Um, But then the conversation ended up shifting over towards, is it a good adaptation? Because now you have all of these people who have been fans of Scott Pilgrim since 2006. They've been a part of this franchise for 17 years, and now they're coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, but this isn't an adaptation that that we wanted. This is just a reimagining. This is something else entirely. Why are we doing a remake when all we wanted was an adaptation? And... I can get that, especially when most of the production and most of the promotional stuff was just saying, hey, you know, this is a Scott Pilgrim anime. It's like, oh, cool. So we're going to be getting Scott Pilgrim in an animated production. And so odds are they will just tell the entire story as it was back in the 2000s. And then for it to, at the end of the first episode, be no, this is something entirely different. Is I could totally see... And understand the whiplash and the disconnect, especially between fans of Scott Pilgrim, who had been with this franchise for years and years and years, and other people who, like me back in 2010, were dipping their toes into the Scott Pilgrim franchise for the first time. And so it had been ages since I'd come back to it, and so being an anime fan and seeing how this show progressed and how good the animation was and how well Sidesaru was able to transition all of these different styles in towards the rest of it. Everybody on the production side of things were just all working in tandem and were doing a phenomenal job communicating to each other what were our passions, what were our likes, what are our dislikes, what are the things that essentially keep us going and keep us invested inside of this medium and this industry that essentially just doesn't give a shit about you. And it's that kind of passion and that kind of connection that these people were able to make inside of this production is how they were able to make an anime that was this exceptional and this well-paced and this enjoyable. Because it was just such a fun anime. It was the same kind of feeling I was getting when I was back to watching Scott Pilgrim back in 2010. It 
the way that they're able to still skew it around because I don't think Ramona got as much time to be built up in the Scott Pilgrim movie as she did in the comics. And so that was definitely something that was the biggest change inside of this entire show is that the reason why it's mostly called Scott Pilgrim Takes Off or Scott Pilgrim Fucks Off is that he is uh, just vacant for most of the show. And it's mostly about Ramona picking up the pieces, trying to figure out what the overall narrative is doing and what's going on, and just how she's going to be the one to have to, quote-unquote, fight or reconcile with all of her evil exes. But seeing the guild, the league, <laughs> however you want to call it, actually come together and outside of the first couple of episodes start befriending each other and being more of a brotherly and sisterly love sort of deal and having much more fun together than they would have pining after Ramona was just such a pleasant surprise and just kind of seeing that kind of interaction and that kind of space go back and forth between the rest of them. It was just so... Like, it, it made my heart full, for sure. It's just such a phenomenal way to bring this towards the rest of it. It's nice how, yes, there was conflict inside of this show, but the fact that people can just be kind to one another, and sure, there are fights and, like, settle out their differences, but just seeing everyone laugh at each other, be happy with one another, help sort out old baggage and, like, become better people as a result of being around everybody was just such a much more positive feel than I would have expected getting out of any other of the projects. And so I understand the malice, some justified, some not, between just the genesis of what this anime meant. However, what it was able to accomplish inside of this time was just something that I would easily recommend to anybody whether you were a fan of Scott Pilgrim or this is your first time getting a foray into the franchise. Because at the end of the day, Scott Pilgrim, to me, is one of those rare franchises based on the passions of every single team and every single person that was a part of every production of this entire idea as a whole, is that I could just point you towards any of these three projects and you could have a great time with any of them. It's such a rare case where the anime, the animation, the animated adaptation is great. The live action movie is great. The source material is great. Every single one of these is something where you can recommend it to anybody and they can come out with a positive experience in any way, shape, or form towards the rest of it. That is the kicker behind the rest of this. And that is basically what now to me is what makes Scott Pilgrim so special is that it was able to take all of these inspirations and passions and ideas about these singular group of characters, about this colorful cast of characters, and still take them in ways that will be able to force them to reconcile and as well as help other people on top of it just finding out things about themselves that even they wouldn't have been able to figure out had they not had the opportunity to enjoy any of these kinds of experiences. And so I'm really glad that at the end of the day that it's just Scott Pilgrim is definitely going to be on my year-end list, that's for sure. Where it is, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and try and get a couple of ideas and get a couple of things sorted out. But however, I do believe that 
the entire Scott Pilgrim franchise as a whole is something that should be cherished and something that should be recommended to anybody that is going through and whether it's because their relationships are being tested or if they're feeling lost or even for me as somebody in their 20s that's trying to figure out a specific path or just get back on one that will keep me moving forward it is one that in one way or another will help you in those endeavors and i really hope that it should have the opportunity to give you the best chance to reconcile with yourself and succeed in a life that'll make you happy so cheers have a good one Thank you.